0: Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians 11. We'll begin with verse 2. This morning's sermon is uh, the type of sermon that I, I try not to preach too much. Yes, kiddos, if, if you haven't, go ahead and go to the tables. Uh, I, I try not to preach topical sermons too much. They're They're honestly harder in a lot of ways to preach than preaching through verses, uh, uh, passages of scripture. Uh, With a topic, you've got to go and you've got to get that verse that talks about the topic and this other verse that says something else about the topic and it's just, it doesn't often help elucidate that passage that we are in. But this morning, I'm, I'm breaking the tradition a little bit and and they're good. Let me, let me actually also say this about topical sermons. They are good. There are some topics that need to be discussed occasionally through a, with a broad view of Scripture in mind. That's just not a, a steady diet that I believe we need on Sunday mornings. This week in our readings, we read two passages that dealt directly with women in the church. So it felt like a good time to discuss that. Uh, there is also there's a broader discussion going on in our Southern Baptist Convention that will likely be brought up later on uh, in our in the annual meeting in a couple of weeks, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But first, I want to perform a, a, a little exercise. Now, there, this is not a gotcha thing. It's not. There's nothing. No, no. This is just to to a sociological. Uh, example is all this is, so don't read any more into it than exactly what I'm asking you to do. But on the count of three, like one, two, three, and I, you can do it on three or you can do it on four, right? It's, do we go on three or do is it one, two, three, go, or is it one, two, go? Who cares? Um, either one's fine. I want you to point, and it's okay right now because I'm asking you to do it. Point to the pastor of First Baptist Sulphur, right? Simple, easy. That's that's all it is. So I didn't say three yet. Y'all, no basic instructions. It's fine. So that's us. All you're doing, one, two, three. Okay. Well, that that's good. Now I, I noticed that, uh, and maybe I missed somebody. Did anybody point to Tom? And I missed it. Okay, did anybody point to Amy? And I missed it. She don't want it. I mean, uh, she would have told you not to. Okay, let me ask another question for you. Ne- next Sunday I'll be gone. The Sunday after that I'll be gone. Tom will be uh, preaching those two Sundays. Uh, again, this is not a gotcha question or trap. I- I'm really, I am trying to prove a point here, and I'll get to the point in a minute. But. When Tom preaches those two Sundays, will Tom be the pastor of the church at that point? Yes or no? You can answer it out loud. I, I, I don't think so. I'm, I'm, I'm not, you know, I, I haven't given up my job for two weeks. It's just vacation. If Amy preached while I was gone, would she be the pastor of the church? Okay, no. No. Back in January, we had uh, Mark Johnson from New Orleans Seminary and Reggie Oge from New Orleans Seminary. When they preached those Sundays, were they the pastor of the church? No. Okay. So, th- 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 this exercise, I'm just, I'm just trying to get your, you know, your, both your opinions and get you to think about things in a, uh, in a certain way. It, as a matter of fact, I was talking about this message with Tom uh, last week. Tom and Amy, as a matter of fact. Last week and, and talking about this particular exercise that I was going to do, and and he will he gets phone calls during the week all the time related now to disaster relief, mainly, uh, but then all the way back to the hurricane, all the disaster relief calls went through Tom or Amy, they were the ones organizing and Probably I don't see him in here, so I don't know the percentage, but I would guess uh, uh, oh there he is he's up there uh, he's uh, uh the percentage it was a high percentage rather of folks that would ask him, "Are you the pastor?" and his answer would be no he he wasn't the pastor now again i'm I'm, I'm making a point here that I will get to a little bit more later but well, I'll go ahead and get to it now. The the point I'm making is we understand in Southern Baptist churches that we might have multiple pastors, associate pastor, we might call them youth pastor or education minister, children's pastor, children's minister. We also use the word directors, but we understand that they they do certain things. They The word pastor means bishop, elder, shepherd, overseer, and in all of our ministry positions, every one of us have areas that we pastor, we oversee, we, we minister to, we, we shepherd various groups at various times. The Baptist Faith and Message 2000, which is the document we subscribe to, says that the church's scriptural officers are pastors and deacons. While both men and women are gifted for service in the church, the office of pastor is is limited to men as qualified by Scripture. We hold to that. As, as y'all just showed, when when you think of pastor, you think of my position, whether it's me up here or somebody else, that you not not this location, but the office that I hold, the, the job that that I do. The baddest faith and message only discusses what women can and can't do, or who can do what, period, in this sentence. Otherwise, everything else in the church is left to the discretion of the church. We are autonomous. That's the word that's used, and and, and used a lot in the Southern Baptist Convention. We, as a church, make our own decisions. We choose to be a part of the Southern Baptist Convention or not. If we choose to be a part of the Southern Baptist Convention, we are telling them, yes, according to the Constitution, we closely align with the Baptist Faith and and Message 2000. As a matter of fact, you can be a part of the convention and still go with 1963. That was the last revision, or, or before 2000, or actually 98 was, but that was kind of a holdover. You could go with 1925 if you wanted to. That was another, that was when it was first written. But nonetheless, we say we're going to closely align with this document. Um, Something else that's not discussed in the Baptist Faith and Message 2000 is ordination who can be ordained? Notice it doesn't say anything about women or men deacons, churches get to make that decision. It doesn't say anything about who, or it, who isn't ordained. Our Baptist faith and message doesn't have a, a, a theology of ordination. We, we, we kind of do. We, we do it a certain way, and we do it a certain way for certain reasons, but it's not uh, written down. So that's up to the church as well. Now, as I said, there's a lot of discussion in the SBC right now about the role of women in the church. And, if, and some of y'all are old enough to remember when this discussion came up in the 60s and 70s, uh, the beginning of, depending on which side of it you were, the fundamentalist takeover or the conservative resurgence in the Southern Baptist Convention. I lean toward the conservative resurgence side versus the fundamentalist takeover side, but that's just me. It was a big deal then, this topic of women serving as pastors, because there were a lot of Southern Baptist churches that had ladies in my position, my role as pastor of the church. Here recently, uh, Rick Warren, the pastor of Saddleback Church, has ordained three women, calling them pastors, uh, but not the pastor. They didn't take Rick's job. They're not even elders. Uh, Rick's church is an elder-led system where you have the pastor of the church, then you have a, a group of elders that are decision makers. Those elders are all men. That is one reading of, the, uh, of Scripture on how a church is to be led. There are debates about which is correct. We're not getting into that debate today, but it's a different debate we're getting into. Uh, they are pastors, called pastors, but they aren't the pastor. There are a lot of churches that have and have had in the past women preach or speak on Sunday morning. Sometimes they'll say they're speaking. Sometimes they'll go on and say they're preaching. But for the church service, there'll be a, a, a lady, most recently a, a big church in uh, uh, Rockwall outside of Dallas had Beth Moore speak on Sunday morning, preach on Sunday morning. Criswell College um, uh W.A. Criswell's First Baptist Dallas' school had uh, a lady preach in chapel um, a few weeks ago. It's it's happening now. It's been happening for decades. And then even more churches, like a lot of Southern Baptist churches, have women who teach Sunday school classes that have both men and women in them. There are a lot of churches that don't think that's right. And you know what? I already used the word autonomous. That's okay. Okay. If that's their interpretation of Scripture, that's fine. This is coming up now because there's a group in the convention that would want to kick out Saddleback Church in in particular for ordaining women associate pastors, we'll call them, um, and any church that has a lady preach or teach on Sunday morning. And and we're, we're drawing in the tent tightly, and I'm not a fan of that. So I'll put that out to you up front. And and y'all might disagree with my opinion on that. That's fine. I'm just giving you uh, how I see Scripture this morning. So as I said, we read uh, chapter 11 and chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians this past week. Both of them deal specifically with women. There are two other verses uh, passages we're going to look at. One passage, two two verses that we're going to look at. Uh, in 1 in Timothy. But since we hit it twice this week in our reading, like I said, I feel, felt like we need to discuss this. Um, it doesn't feel like, this is something else I talked with Tom and Amy about this week, it doesn't feel like this passage goes with the May-June theme of uh, a seed reborn, or rather a growing seed, lessons for a church reborn. But I don't want to shoehorn anything into the title, but the more I thought about it, the more I realized that if we go with Jesus' uh, Luke ten two, 2 the, the fields are white with harvest, pray the Lord of the harvest to send workers into his fields, then we need all the workers we can get. We need everybody doing what God has called them and gifted them to do, men and women. So I do believe this topic this morning, at least in some small way, fits into the theme. Everybody sitting here has a job to do in the field, in growing this seed. All right, well, let's look at the passages. Let's look at what Scripture says in these four different spots we're going to look at. I have a lot of information to share with you this morning, so I'm going to kind of blow through this quickly, so you've got to listen rapidly, and if you're a note taker, you're going to have to write quickly. There are times when I'm going to mention other verses, but I'm not going to show them to you on the screen, so you'll want to write those down if you want to go back and look at them later. 1 Corinthians 11:2 through 16, let's look at it first. I do have it to read. I'm going to read through it, and, and you'll, if you haven't read it this week, you'll, you'll get to the end today and go, huh? That's, that's okay. Paul writes, Now I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold fast to the traditions just as I delivered them to you. But I want you to know that Christ is the head of every man, and, that, and the man is the head of the woman, and God is the head of Christ. Every man who prays or prophesies with something on his head dishonors his head. Every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since that is one and the same as having her head shaved. For if a woman doesn't cover her head, she should have her hair cut off. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, let her head be covered. A man should not cover his head because he is the image and glory of God. So too woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman came from man. Neither was man created for the sake of woman, but woman for the sake of man. This is why a woman should have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. And the Lord, however, woman is not independent of man, and man is not independent of woman. For just as woman came from man, so man comes through woman, and all things come from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. For her hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to argue about this, we have no other custom, nor do the churches of God. Okay, this passage has been used to do a lot of things. say that women can't have short hair, and as I look around lot y'all, y'all, y'all in trouble if we're going with that, right? Um, that men can't have long hair? Jamie. Um, and, but that, that passage has been used that way. This is a, a lengthy and complicated passage that takes a lot of working on to understand what Paul is saying. It is not impassioned. There are places where Paul is writing and he is just hammering. And you can tell by the words he used, the, the, the language he uses, the inflection, the tone even in his writing, that Paul is just doing this sort of thing with his teaching. This is not that based on the grammar and usage and that sort of stuff. And it is primarily an argument about cultural norms. That's why he keeps going back to, y'all, look, y'all know, all y'all know that this hair and that hair, that's the way it's supposed to be. Now, there's, there's a reason for it um, that, that I, I don't want to get into in great detail, but around this time in, in Roman culture, there was a feminist revolution. Uh, our, the, the history books tell us that. The, 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 the paintings and that sort of thing where women were basically like our sexual revolution of the 60s and 70s. Where they were burning their, I'm trying to be nice, you know, but you know what I'm talking about if you're old enough. Uh, I, I, that sort of thing was happening here. And this is what Paul was, it appears, pushing back against. Let me remind you of one thing we learned that when we were going through Galatians. I remind you, reminded you especially of, but even when we talked about Ephesians, we, uh, we talked about it then. We're hearing one side of a telephone conversation with these letters. The church in Corinth has sent letters to Paul. Paul is answering those letters. Remember that, or if you didn't know, let me inform you that there were actually four letters that Paul wrote to Corinth. We have two of them. He references them. He references an angry letter, and he references uh, uh, just another letter. So there are four letters that Paul wrote. So we don't even have the whole conversation with Corinth. We don't have Paul's, the whole side of Paul's, uh, we don't have all of Paul's side of the conversation with Corinth, much less the church's. So keep that in mind as, we, as you study Scripture. There's a lot here that Paul is talking about that culturally we have very little clue about. Is he talking about because of the words he use, uses? Hair isn't mentioned very often, especially in the first two chapters or first two uh, paragraphs. It's head. It's covering. It's this. Is he talking about long hair? Is he talking about some sort of shawl or turban-like thing? Even that is debated. All right. All that really has nothing to do with what we're talking about today. But you need to hear that, get that context, and understand that Paul is talking about some very specific things in the culture going on in that church. What we need to see for today, the crux of it for today, is that women prayed and prophesied in church. That's what I want you to see. This passage is not, uh, don't let them do this, but... When they do, cause they are, and apparently that was fine, make sure they are doing so that is in a way that is not culturally distracting. Don't let the the dress, the, the new mode of dress, the the new hairstyles, the he talks about in first Timothy wearing jewelry and all the and the makeup and all this other stuff. I mean this is why. Pentecostal churches don't wear jewelry and makeup, and they have to have long hair. It's because they take this passage and the one in Timothy to say, long hair, no jewelry, no makeup. Don't dress like a man, because that's probably part of the culture here, is that they were dressing like a man. Now, our culture today says women can wear pants, it's not a big deal. Women can cut their hair short, it's not a big deal, on and on. Our culture has changed. For some of us, that's not for the better. I get that, but it still has. So it's no longer culturally relevant to say, "I don't think a wo- woman shouldn't wear pants, or makeup, or jewelry." So if if women prophesy, we and, and pray. We all know what prayer is. We need to understand what prophecy is here. What is? What are they doing? Well, if, if you. We're not going to go there, but over in chapter 14, we'll get there in a minute, but we're not going to this part. Chapter 14, verse 3, uh, Paul says that prophecy, because he's comparing in this chapter tongues versus prophecy, which is more important, which is better. And he says that prophecy in verse 3 is for uh, the person who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and consolation. The person who speaks in tongues, this is verse 4, the person who speaks in another tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. And in verse 19, uh, in the church he says, I would rather speak five words with my understanding in order to teach others also than 10,000 words in another tongue. So just in those few verses, we see that prophecy is for strengthening, encouragement, and consolation. It's uh, to build up the church, and it's for understanding to build up the church through teaching, and it's for understanding in order to build up the church. That's prophecy. So that means that in the church in Corinth, ladies were teaching, prophesying, in order to strengthen, encourage, console, build up. Uh, with understanding to teach, and that was what they were prophet- that was prophesying. In Acts two, Peter quotes Joel as saying, "Women and daughters will prophesy." And we often say, and this is accurate, especially after the Old Testament prophets. But even with the Old Testament prophets, prophecy isn't just foretelling; it's not just telling the t- future. It's forthtelling. You tell forth what God says now we have the Bible we we have God's word here so we don't get new prophecies but prophets prophets tell what God says and that's part of and that is scripture that gift continues today God still calls prophets God still gives folks the gift of prophecy and if that's the case at least I believe that he still gives those gifts then women have those gifts. Okay. So Paul has said now that women prophesy. They, they strengthen, encourage, console, build up the church, and teach the church. We flip over now to 1 Corinthians 14, 34 through 35, following on the heels of uh, tongues and prophecy. And all of these chapters have to do with order in the church making sure that the service, the church service, is done in an orderly fashion so that everybody gets something out of it. So there aren't distractions. So there's not concern here and concern there about what's going on, which is why he now talks about tongues and prophecy. Don't speak in another tongue if there's not somebody there to interpret it because that's just babbling to everybody. That's distracting. That's not a good way to run church. Prophecy is more important because you're speaking God's word to the people. We get to verse 34 and 35 of chapter 14, and Paul writes to the church in Corinth, the women should be silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but are to submit themselves as the law also, also says. If they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, since it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Okay, Paul. Three chapters ago, you said, when women pray and prophesy, don't be a distraction with the way you're dressed and, and in your hair and that sort of thing, make sure that everything is done in order. And then three chapters later, women, y'all shut up. A paraphrase. What's he doing here? Well, this makes no sense. This passage makes no sense as a permanent universal prohibition to all women forever Following on the heels of chapter eleven, it just doesn't make sense. Now there are scholars that say this verse, these two verses, shouldn't be in there because they, they give these reasons, and I don't want to chase too many rabbits here because I already have too much information. But there there are um, manuscripts. We don't have the original. We don't have Paul's original letter. We have copies of his letter from a, a few hundred years later. We don't have the original. And what they would say is, well, in the original, probably, because they don't know this, the only reason they have this idea is because in some of our manuscripts, verses 34 and 35, those two sentences actually come after verse 40. And in some manuscripts, they're here. So they're in different spots. They say, well, see, the fact that they're in different spots means it was probably added later. So this wasn't even Paul talking. Nah, I I don't hold to that. Uh, I don't think that's the way it, it worked, because we don't have any, uh, the oldest manuscripts that we have all have it. So we're going to, we know Paul said this. I'm going to, Paul said this, this is what he meant to say. He was writing these words to the church. So what do we do with it? Well, we try to figure out the context of this one-sided conversation. Because it, it, we would have to assume that the church in Corinth, when they read this letter, when they read chapter 11, no chapters and verses back then, but when they read that portion of the letter, they knew exactly what he was talking about with head covering and short hair and all this other stuff. They're like, oh yeah, he's right, that's not, we don't do that, and now we're trying to do that, and we, okay, we get it, Paul. They would have understood that. And then when they got to verse 14, because, I mean, chapter 14, because he doesn't cover this again in, in the letter that we have, Second Corinthians, maybe he uh, expounded on it somewhere else, but we don't know. When they got to 14 and he says that uh, a woman, woman shouldn't speak in the church and that sort of thing, they would have gone, yeah, we totally see what he's talking about. Yeah, all right, we'll, we'll change. They would have gotten it. We have to do a lot of homework. So in the context... Because he talks to verse 35, and this is just one interpretation, okay, let me say that. But it's, it's a, a number of scholars hold this interpretation. In the context, it's not woman, but wives or wife. Now, why do I say that? In Greek, the same, woman for, the same word for woman is also the word for wife, gune, g-u-n-e, if we were going to Write it out in English letters. So you can write, the Gune went to the store, and that's the woman went to the store. Or you can say, the Gune went to the store, and that's the wife went to the store. The context would tell you. If the Gune went to the store, and that's all it says, then it's probably the woman. But if the Gune went to the store with her husband, then that's probably the wife went to the store with her husband. All right? So we get to this, and we have to look at context. And that context goes back at least to chapter 11, where it talks about husbands and wives again. And now it brings up husbands and wives a second time. Ask your husband. Talk to your husband at home. Contextually, this most likely is to stop wives and husbands from arguing in church. That's really what it seems to be, is that they were stopping them uh, from arguing. Now, we sit here this morning and we go, how in the world were they arguing in church in such a way to be a distraction? Because y'all sitting next to your spouses would never think of, shut up, do you not hear the man's talking? Did you not hear what he just, what a moron, hush, y'all would never think of doing that. But we have to remember that these were house churches. They weren't even in a hollowed out Jimuary. They were sitting in the the courtyard, very likely, of these, uh, if they were a house church, in in the courtyard of these wealthy homes that was actually considered a public space. Like, literally anybody could walk into the courtyards of these homes. They would set up chairs and benches and people would sit on the floor. And it was much more of a small group, open participation Event as a matter of fact, it talks about weighing the prophecies because they didn't have New Testament scripture at this time. So it was, do you have a word from the Lord? Yes, I do. I'll stand up and give it. Then the the uh, the leader or leaders, if there were more than one, if there was more than one, would say, does that sound like what scripture, Old Testament, would have said, or does this sound crazy off the wall? And they would decide in this conversa- conversation. If the prophecy was from the Lord or not. So you have this situation. You've got a small group in a home. How many of you have ever done small group in your home? Raise your hands. This is participation time. Is it super formal... And everybody is looking straight, and nobody talks at any time unless they're spoken to. And even then, you you ask the question, "How many?" And you expect people to raise their hands because they're in. Nope, we're in church right now. We can't even raise our hands for that. No, it's hold on. Did you and conversation and this and you know we're right here and all you know it's it's all this stuff in a small group that was church then. People were more comfortable in their homes than we are even in this setup. So when you had a husband and wife that maybe literally walked across the street from their house to their neighbor's house that they've known for however many years and sat down in that neighbor's courtyard to have church next to each other. And they've got their coffee cup from home and they maybe have their bagel that they brought from home and they're sitting down and they're talking and it's just a a conversation. Paul here is trying to say, hey, this is is more than just a get together, y'all. This is something holy is happening in this moment. So don't just come in and act like this is just a free wheel, n- nothing matters and we can just wh- whatever. Th- this God is working right now. so let's have some decorum. as you watch TV from home, as you watch the services back in. April and May, from your house, sitting at your kitchen table, couch, or, you know, if you had it on your phone, wherever you happened to be, did you, and maybe you did, and God bless you if you did, but did you go and get a straight back chair and set it up in the middle of the church? Now, I know people that did do this, not here necessarily but I've seen people that do it set up a straight back chair and sit and put it on TV and you just sat there for however long the service lasted or if the phone rang did you go answer it or did you go get another cup of coffee or did you think were you sitting there thinking "Man, I got a vacuum um, good gracious how much dust can get on one thing what were you distracted by your home environment I didn't get any yeses, but uh, I'm going to assume some of you were distracted by that. It was easy. As a matter of fact, having conversations since that time, I know it's very easy for us not even to come back to church. It's very easy to stay at home because it is more comfortable. It is easier. You don't have to get up as early. You don't have to prepare, prepare. So this idea then of house church being much freer, much easier to start a husband and wife, let's say, argument, it doesn't sound that far uh, out of the realm of possibility. It was, it was just a different situation. Because when you're at home, husbands and wives, do y'all sometimes disagree? Etta and I don't. I mean, never. We don't ever disagree because she just knows I'm right and she never Even, even pushes. (coughs) I tried. Um, So if you, you can imagine, if if you're with close friends. And, and y'all came from the house, and the kids wouldn't get ready for church, and you're already kind of snippy with them, and then you kind of get snippy with each other, because I'm sitting outside with the chariot, ready to go, and the horse is whinnying, and the family's not ready, and are you going to come? Well, are you going to help get them dressed? And you take your chariot to church that day, and you, you get out at your, your, your neighbor down the road's house, and, and you're already a little snippy, and you're going, well, you could have gotten done it, well, you could have gotten up earlier, well, you could have fixed breakfast, and and, oh, hey, hey, uh, 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 Anstrophanes, good to see you again. And um, you sit down and wearing, 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 in this small group situation. Now, I painted a very vivid picture, I think, of something I have never seen, uh, at least not in the Roman era. But that seems to be the sort of situation Paul was talking about. There appears to be Uh, To have been trouble with people, especially women in this case, forgetting they were in church. They were at their friend's house on this Sunday morning. But the idea that they were in church kind of got lost in the mix. But whatever it does mean, now I just gave you a lot of possibility and maybe I'm completely off. But whatever it does mean, it can't mean that women were completely silent in the church. From that point on and forever, it, it Scripture does not allow for that. I mean, does silence mean no singing, too? Like men, if I tell a joke, y'all can laugh, but women laugh on the inside. Chelsea, inside laugh? No. Yeah, not gonna happen. That's exactly right. Uh, and again, praying and prophesying, no. Okay. So that's two places that we read this week that if you read with us should have gone, oh, okay, wait, do what? And you should have been weighing those things already this week. Flip over to 1 Timothy 2.11. 1 Timothy 2.11 is the verse that almost kept me from getting married. Not because... My wife doesn't follow the admonition of the passage. She says it was on our first date. It was okay. It was at the lunch where we met with my mother and her mother and a, a secretary from the church. They all attended, where uh, I volunteered that my favorite Bible verse was First Timothy two eleven. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. Paraphrased, woman shut up. My mother was appalled. I'm pretty sure my future mother-in-law was appalled. The secretary probably laughed, Kathy. She probably thought it was funny. And Etta went out with me again the next night. So it must have been okay. I don't recommend it as a pickup line. That's the history of this verse in our family. And what it says is, I just quoted it for you, sad that I can do that. A woman is to learn quietly with full submission. Now, what is Paul, same writer, writing now to the churches in Ephesus, not the churches in Corinth, specifically writing to Timothy about how to pastor, how to lead the churches, how to lead the other pastors in Ephesus at these house churches. What is Paul doing here? It's an expansion of Judaism where women would not have been taught at all, okay? This was a breakthrough thing. Yeah, let the women sit in there and learn. That would not have happened in the synagogues. That wasn't what they did. But what he's telling them to do, I just looked at my clock, I apologize, y'all. What he's telling them to do is learn Quietly, not learn in silence, that is one translation, but it probably means, or a better translation would be, learn quietly in stillness. This is much more than just shut your mouth, much more of an attitude or a spirit than a physical situation. This is your attitude when you come to church. Now, remember, it's house churches. It could be that Paul is addressing something like a Mary-Martha situation going on in churches. In these house churches where people were meeting in this lady's home. And so you've got some ladies that are Marys sitting there listening to the teaching. And then you have some Marthas that are, while he's teaching, they're going to check on the meal over here and going to wash some dishes over there. And they're thinking, oh, the kids didn't make their bed. And they get up and go do that. And maybe it was some, those sorts of distracting things. It's easy, right, to get, into, get distracted in your home when, when you're sitting right there. But in any case, cool it. Listen, learn, be a part of the teaching, a part of the church service. And then he says, learn with submission. This is not submission to men, but to the teaching. It's certainly not submission to all men. And let me throw this disclaimer in here. Women are never told to submit to men. Ladies, some man on the street tells you You better do this, he ain't your boss, and your husband, who is your servant leader, better pop him in the nose, because he is to protect you. Now, I'm not going to advocate violence, but you get what I'm saying. Women are, wives are to submit to the servant leadership of their husbands, but women aren't supposed to submit to men. It's not a gender-to-gender thing, it's a wife-to-husband thing. In this case, the ladies do submit to the teaching of the pastor, but just like we're told elsewhere, they test every word that the pastor says, just like the men are told to do. Y'all are, so right now, those of you who are going, is what Michael's saying accurate? Perfect. You're testing what I say, which you should be doing every Sunday, not just when I preach on a topic like this. Now, this is not, uh, learn in silence with quietness or in stillness, is not a surrender of their mind, their conscience, uh, uh, or their body, but this is a surrender of any sort of abusive, particularly abusive, but any sort of disrespect in the church service, going back to 1 Corinthians 11 and 14. And then we get to the next verse, which is probably the most used verse for women's roles in the church. 1 Timothy 2.12 I do not allow a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. Instead, she is to remain quiet. Teaching and authority here, teaching nor authority, is actually what it is, not teaching and authority. In Greek, this is a thing, a a connection of words called a Hindiatis. That won't be on the test. I just wanted to put it up there for you meaning you can't separate the two ideas. It's not teaching, let's talk about that, and it's not authority, let's talk about that, it's teaching and authority. They go together. You can't separate those. So you take them together, don't split them. The problem isn't teaching or authority, but it's teaching and authority. Women are not allowed to, to take part in teaching and authority over men. Now, what we do know is that women actually in the Scriptures do teach men. Acts 18.26, Priscilla with Aquila, but Priscilla's name comes first, taught Apollos in 1 Corinthians 11.4 and 5. We already talked about prophesying and that prophesying is teaching and building up the church and a number of other things. So this this prohibition right here isn't about incompetence or inferiority. It's not that women are less or that they can't do something in part this is about the role of teacher and leader getting in the way of the familial role, wives, especially in the house church. Again, going back to this idea in 1 Corinthians 14. But it's also the idea that the women can't set dogma. There's your seminary word for the day, the the overarching teachings of the church. They don't set the direction of the church. They don't have final leadership over the church. Paul's going to get to this in chapter 3 of 1 Timothy. But if we go back to the Great Commission, make disciples and teach them. Teach them everything Jesus said. Teach all that Jesus has commanded us. What has Jesus commanded us? These are Jesus' words, all of it. Not just the ones in red, but all of it. We hold this to be all of God's word through the mediator, Jesus Christ. So if the Great Commission is to teach everybody everything Jesus said, and the Great Commission isn't gender-specific, then we at least know women are supposed to teach, and then we see in Scripture that women teach men. Authority, on the other hand, combined with teaching, like I said, looks forward to chapter 3. And we see that because of the roles in the family. We see this complementarian structure that God set up at creation. The pastor, elder, or bishop, or the one with authority is to be male. Servant leadership of the pastor in the church matches the servant leadership of the husband at home. So, a woman can teach, but she cannot teach and hold authority cannot be the pastor, the elder, the bishop that Paul talks about in chapter 3. So all the activities of the church, including women teaching and prophesying and praying and serving and leading, are to be under the authority of a male pastor. Like I said, leadership in the church mirrors mirrors leadership in the home. Authority falls on one in the home, the husband. But I think we'd all agree that most responsibilities in the church, in the uh, home, are interchangeable. I wash dishes. I occasionally do other things that are woman's work. And for those who are just listening and not watching, I did air quotes women's work. We, we, some, some days she's the disciplinarian Some days I'm the disciplinarian Sometimes I'm having to make decisions Sometimes she's making decisions we, we, Almost all of that is interchangeable A handful of responsibilities are specific I cannot produce a baby inside my body That is a gender specific task in the family Leadership and I'm not comparing leadership to having babies. That was just these are two. Okay, leadership, final authority falls with the husband. Most our things are interchangeable. A few are not. Quickly, New Testament women. Here are all the places that I could find of women who were doing something in the church. And if you want to write that down, or it, you don't need to write it down, you've got it in your uh, faith life app. Women prophesying, we already talked about that. Peter says it in his sermon, I think I said Paul earlier. Peter said it in his sermon on Pentecost. Joel prophesies that women and daughters will, uh, will prophesy in the last days. We're in the last days right now. It started that day, we're still in them, so women still prophesy. Priscilla in Acts 18.26 teaches uh, Apollos. In Romans 16.3, we, we see that she hosted a house church. She was the host. We see that in first uh, Corinthians sixteen eighteen, she's a co-worker of Paul. Whatever that means, she's a co-worker. In Acts 21, 8, and 9, we, we're introduced to Philip's daughters who were prophets, prophetesses. Phoebe, we learn of in Romans 16, 1, and 2, who was a deacon. Uh, and Baptist faith and message says nothing about men or women being deacons. Other than the fact that it's an office of the church... It doesn't say who can and can't be a deacon, only that the pastor is reserved for men. Phoebe likely carried Paul's letter. Based on the reading of that verse, she likely carried Paul's letter to the church in Rome, an extremely important responsibility. And if she carried it, it is possible she was the one that read it to him on Sunday morning. And when they said, what did Paul mean by that? She said, well, when I was talking to him before I left, he said this. Very likely. Very likely. Romans 16.6 tells us of Mary, who was a hard worker in the gospel. Romans 16.7 tells us of Junia. Junia was a woman who was noteworthy, noteworthy among the apostles, Scripture says. Some Scripture says noteworthy to the apostles, but they're changing among to two. if yours says two, As a matter of fact, so the question is, does that mean Junia was noteworthy? as an apostle, or the apostles all knew her well? We don't know. It leans toward among, she was an apostle, the way she's called out in uh, Romans. Uh, Tryphena and Tryphosa in Romans 16.12 were hard workers. Euodia and Syntyche In Philippians 4, 2 through 3, it tells us they worked by Paul's side. And then Nympha in Colossians uh, 4, 15 hosted a house church. All right. Those are many, many women in New Testament. Arguments can be made. Well, they're not teaching. Nowhere does it say except for Priscilla. And then they make reasons why it's not teaching there either. Nowhere does it say anybody was teaching except Priscilla. All right. Let's get to my conclusion. The office of pastor, my position, my role, my office, is reserved for men. But both women and men are restricted to and serve under the leadership and authority of the male pastor. It's the way uh, 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 God set up the church. That everyone who teaches in the church teaches under the authority of the pastor. And that role is reserved for men. But... Women can teach mixed crowds, preach to mixed crowds, even at 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. They can lead, they can serve, they can be ordained, they can pray, they can lead worship, and they can have any other role or function in the church so long as their roles and functions occur under the leadership of the male pastor, which is the same for any male in leadership in the church. I do not believe, or rather I do believe, that Paul does not contradict himself. So chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians 11 does not contradict 1 Corinthians 14. The Bible is inerrant, but we can misinterpret, especially where grammar, culture, and translation are uncertain. So we approach Scripture with humility. And my humility this morning is that I may be wrong about all this. I may be completely wrong wrong, and I will admit that to you, but there are those that are much smarter than me that hold the view that I have presented to you this morning, but even those that hold that view, and this is another conversation Tom and I had this week, have to do some grammatical gymnastics in order to get to this view that I have, but the thing is, so do those who hold to an opposing view, a different view. You've got to reconcile 1 Corinthians 11 and all the ladies of the New Testament with 1 Corinthians 14 and 1 Corinthians 2. But whatever is the case, Paul can't both permit and prohibit the same thing. So we have to admit that our understanding is very likely flawed. And I'll admit that. I might be wrong. There's some of you that still don't agree with me that Paul was disobedient when he went to Jerusalem in, toward the end of Acts. It's okay. Not a big deal. But if I'm to be wrong in this situation and on this topic, I will be wrong with grace. And I will, would rather be wrong allowing freedom and allowing women to do too much rather than restricting them to too little. I would rather be wrong encouraging the most workers possible to do the most work possible as we as a church tend to this growing seed of a church. If I'm going to be wrong, I'm going to be wrong with too much allowance instead of not enough. That's my stand. But let me say this. Paul is not unclear. There is no discrepancy. There's no debate, no uncertainty on what our only source of salvation is, and that is Jesus Christ. There's no debate there. And if you were wondering, well, how's he going to get to the gospel at the end of this? That's how. We can talk about women's roles in the church all day long, and there are a lot of other topics we can discuss where some people view one thing and some people view another. But as Southern Baptists, as evangelicals, we will never compromise on the fact that the only way to Jesus, uh, the only way to heaven, is a relationship through Jesus Christ. That's it. That we must admit that we're a sinner, believe that Jesus is who he says he is and we choose to make Jesus our savior. On that we stand firm and we will never change. And it doesn't matter what the culture says, it doesn't matter how short ladies hair gets or any or how long men's hair get. Jesus is still the only way to heaven. Jesus is still the only way to be saved. And this morning, regardless of whether you think I'm right on women or think I'm wrong, women if you're watching if you're listening if you're here and you've never accepted jesus christ that is still firm and that is a decision you must make this morning and i pray today you will find jesus christ and the salvation that he offers pray with me father thank you that even in our wrongness even in our uncertainty even in our debates, you are never uncertain. You're never wrong. And you provide grace. You, we, we can be wrong. We can be sincerely wrong. And your mercy is still new every morning. And when we are wrong about an interpretation, when we understand you or your word incorrectly, you know that we are just dirt. We're, we're going to die. We're going to decompose. We, we are flawed. We are uh, uh, incapable of full understanding. And yet, because of your Son, we are priceless. We are loved. We are accepted by you. Our home is secure in heaven. Our eternity is sure. And we will reign with you one day. So as flawed and as dirt as we are, we're special. Special to you. And so I pray this morning on what was more of a, a, a lecture on a topic versus a, a sermon of, of uh, encouragement to get to work or whatever it, it, we came expecting this morning, that we hear that we all have a job to do, that we all have a part to play, we are all valuable to the kingdom, we all have a ministry, and we all have the opportunity for grace and to experience that grace. We thank you for that, that grace. Lord, I pray this morning that even in this interesting message, that hearts are changed, softened to hear from you and to repent and turn to you because of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to sing, we're going to worship. Ladies, sing really loud. Because some people will say that's the only time you can speak up in church. So sing loud right now as we, as we worship and I don't know what the Lord might do with you. This is one of those odd sermons. It, 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 you know, I'm, I'm sure some of y'all are sitting there going, what was that about? I know, me too. That's what I felt like the Lord needed us to hear today. And so, if the Lord wanted us to hear it, we need to worship him for telling us about it today through his word. So let's stand and let's sing and let him work on our hearts as we prepare ourselves for the work that he has given us this week.